today we are continuing in our series, Next is Now, which is a study of the book of Joshua. Um, last week I talked about how Joshua and the leaders of Israel were deceived by the Gibeonites. And from that account in scripture, I showed you three ways that we could discern deception. And that's by number one, don't be convinced by everything that you see, right? We talked about that. Don't believe everything that you hear and, uh, and, and seek God's direction before making a decision every time. And that's even what we're doing. Like even when we try to have hurricane relief and, and outreach, you know, I was talking to Pastor Todd yesterday and, and we're trying to seek the Lord instead of just rushing out and doing something. Okay, what's the best direction, Lord? How should we handle this? What's the best way to go about and be more effective in, in helping our neighbors to the west of us? So these are th- three things we need to do. Again, we're, we're getting into, uh, I think we're in week eight now. If you miss any of these uh, sermons in the last couple of months, you can go to our website, our podcast, our app, and you can catch up with any one of these, both audio or video. So now let's continue in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to read quite a few verses, uh, verses 1 through 15. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed his king, just as he has destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and are now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all of this because Gibeon was a large town as large as the raw cities and larger than Ai. And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings. Come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, if they have made peace with, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once and save us. Help us, for all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. And if, let me pause right there. If you remember, because the Gibeonites deceived them, they made a peace treaty with them. But part of that peace treaty is that now that they're, they're Gibeon's allies, so they're required by the treaty they made to actually go and help the Gibeonites, which was their enemy, now they actually having to go and help them. Let's continue. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Let's drop down to verse 11. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Haran, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Hezekiah. The, the hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said this, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated his enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as normal. There has never been a day like this before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. You see, the king of Jerusalem had heard that the Gibeonites had made a peace treaty and became allies with Israel. And so he must announce that, man, these traitors, they must be punished. 
Man, the poor Gibeonites, if you think about it, they made a peace treaty with the invaders and now they, they're getting attacked by their former allies, right? So not only did Joshua make a bad decision, the Gibeonites made a bad decision as well. So as the collaboration of armies assembled, they had no idea that God was going to use this event to accomplish his own purposes. You know, God's good like that. Instead of having a defeat, having to defeat these five cities one by one, he would use Joshua to conquer them all at one time. See how God works in the middle of our mess, right? You see that? Even though he made a mistake, we see God working. So just as God used the defeat of Ai to form a battle plan for victory over Ai, he also used Joshua's mistake with the Gibeonites to protect Gibeon and accelerate the conquest of Canaan. You see, just like us, we all make mistakes, right? Amen? Okay, about five people in here have ever made a mistake in their life. Let me ask that question again. We all make mistakes, right? Sometimes our mistakes can even be very embarrassing, especially when those mistakes are us maybe going before the Lord or, as I said last week, us not seeking God's will. You remember I just recapped the last point, seek God's direction before making a decision. When we don't seek God's will, as we saw last week, it, it, it causes us to make mistakes, and they can even be very embarrassing. But the good news this morning is we need to remember that no mistake is final for the dedicated disciple of Christ. Amen. We're not done when we make mistakes. God can use even our biggest blunders to accomplish his purposes. Someone defines success as this, the art of seeing victory where other people only see defeat. Isn't that good? That's what success is, the, the art of seeing victory when other people only see defeat. So this morning, I want to give you three keys in living to living in victory. How do we live in victory? They just accomplished another great victory. But I, I believe there's three things in the story we can take out and we can see how not only we just get the victory one time. Okay, man, I've been struggling with this. I've been battling this and I got the victory over. No, I'm talking about living in victory. Amen consistently living a life of victory. Not saying we're not going to make mistakes and we're not going to lose a battle here and there. Because remember, in war, battles are lost, but the war is not over. You can make mistake and lose a battle and still win the war and still walk in victory. Amen? So let's look at that. Number one, allow God's promises to propel you. Allow God's promises to propel you. And I even go further into your purpose and to continue on victorious in your purpose. Joshua 10.8, do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand against you. That was a promise. God wasn't swaying. He wasn't saying, maybe, hey, let me encourage you. I might help you out if you're a good boy this time. No. He was telling them a strong promise. Don't be afraid, for I've given you the victory over them. Not a single one. The promise of victory. The promise of victory in our life should propel us as well. See, once again, God urged Joshua not to be afraid, just as he did Joshua chapter 1. You remember week 1? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. Also in Joshua chapter 8, he was assuring Joshua of victory over Israel's enemies. See, Joshua's action here illustrates a very important verse in the New Testament scripture. As I've been saying all through this this um series, and I will continue to, you'll see some in a, in a little bit later. Again, everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow. So what Joshua did here lives out something, or it was, it was a, a shadow or an illustration of what we see in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
As Joshua heard the promise of the Lord, Joshua heard the word of the Lord, guess what? Faith rose up in him and said, you know what? Even though there's five armies stacked against me, God said we got the victory, let's go. His promise propelled Joshua to another great victory. See, whenever we believe the promises of God and obey God's command, we can also act by faith and can expect God to help us and give us victory in our lives. See, the Jews didn't have to be afraid because God had already promised them the victory. God's promises of victory had encouraged Joshua a a few times when he became the leader of the nation, when he anticipated attacking Jericho, again when he attacked Ai uh, after a humiliating defeat. See, the truth is we don't have to be afraid either because the Bible is filled with promises. Some people say 365 is actually more than that, but over 300, almost closer to 400 promises throughout the whole Bible that are promised to me and to you. Surely one or two or maybe a few of those can propel us into victory, amen? Look at what 1 Kings 8.56 says. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people. Now it says his people Israel here, but if you are a born-again believer, you're a child of God, you are his people, right? We are his people. According to all his promises, there has not, there has not failed one word of all his good promises, right? All the promises he has promised to his people have come to pass. Amen. I'm glad EJ believes that. Amen. All of his promises, listen to me, church. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Well, Brendan, why haven't I seen the promises come true in my life? Well, I don't know the answer to all of that because I'm not God. And if I could understand everything God did, he wouldn't be God, right? But also to every promise, there's a condition. Sometimes we don't see the promises because we haven't fulfilled the condition on our side, right? And sometimes the promises just ain't there yet. Sometimes I believe God makes a promise to maybe our family or whatnot that we may never see and hear about till we get to heaven, Right? And so we just, I don't know, but I do know that everything that God has promised shall come to pass. See, because God's promises not only propel us past our fear into faith, because again, we need to be propelled out of fear into faith, but also sustains us and strengthens us when we get weary. I tell you what, 2020 has been a year that can, can, can wear on you, right? I mean, really, the hurricane would be a last thing we needed this year, right? And then I don't know how many. Last I heard, there was three more storms coming off in the Atlantic and all. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, help us, right? One of the forecasters said, man, look, I think one hurricane a state per year is enough, right? So I don't know where they're at. I haven't been watching it, but hopefully they dissipate, turn, and, and get away from here, right? But listen, we all get weary. But look at what Joshua 10.9 says. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. Any of you ever traveled all night, like drove all night through the night? I only did that one time and it was my last time. Once and I was done. Instead of sleeping that night, we were going on vacation and I wanted to, you know, make up a day and have an extra day. So instead of going to sleep at eight o'clock, I drove all the way to North Carolina. My wife said she would help me and she did. I drove 14, she drove one. So she was, she blessed me with that. That was, you know, once I was about to go crazy and she woke up as the sun was coming up, you need me to help you drive? I'm like, Yes, please. You know, but think about walking all night long. You know how tired you get when you drive all night? These brothers are walking all night with armor, yes, and weapons. That's right. Think about that. So they've walked all night long 
And you know they had to be weary. Joshua's troop, they traveled 15 miles up the rugged terrain and steep slopes. So it wasn't even like walking down I-10 with armor and weapons. You're talking this is rugged terrain that they were going up. And they were, you know they had to be weary. Joshua did this, and I'll tell you the reason why. This is really cool. Again, shows you God's strategy and all this. Joshua did this because his armies attacked the Amorite armies from the east at sunrise. His armies would come out from the sun, and it would be blinding the Amorites as they would be facing eastward. That's pretty cool. It was a strategy. If we get them at sunrise, it's actually going to blind them. No doubt the men were weary when they arrived, but the Lord was with them and gave them the victory. What kept the soldiers going? They believed God's promise and knew the victory was assured. They had no problem taking off and walking all night long up steep terrain, steep slopes, rugged terrain, because they knew they got a word from God. They had a promise that we're going to have the victory when we get there. No matter how tired we are, no matter how hungry we are, no matter how heavy this armor is, the Lord has told us when we get there, the victory is ours. So there, God's promise propelled them on when they got weary. Listen, church, we all have uphill journeys in life, right? Some of you sitting here today are tuned in online. Welcome, by the way. I forgot to welcome our online church. Um, some of you sitting here and tuned in, you're walking through maybe the strongest uphill battle of your life that you never went through, that you've never been through before. We all get weary. But our belief in God's promises is the power that will propel us to keep going and assure us of the victory. Amen? you got to get a hold of the Word of God. you got to get a hold of, of a promise. And in specifically, what I'm talking about today is a promise for victory. It's not always a promise for a material thing you're looking for or hoping for. It might not always be a certain thing or, 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 you know, whatever. Sometimes it's the promise of victory that if you keep going, you will be victorious. Amen? If you don't quit, and that's what Galatians says, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. What if those troops would have stopped halfway at about seven and a half miles and said, man, I'm pooped. We're taking a nap, you know? We don't know how it would have turned out, but they kept going because the promises of God propelled them. You know, there's a dear lady in our church right now. She lost two children at once in a tragic car accident, and now she's battling cancer. And when I talk to her, she always tells me, I know God has a purpose in all of this. And I believe this dear sister, I'm not saying her name because I didn't, I didn't get her permission, but this dear sister, I know it's that that propels her to keep going. She's still glorifying God. She's still walking with the Lord. In such tragedy, she has gone through earlier in life and now walking through in life. She always tells me God has a purpose. And if he's glorified by it all, then you know what? May the Lord's will be done. God's promises are propelling her on. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know your uphill battle right now. But get a hold of the promises of God. And I believe you'll walk in victory. Amen? Because it will propel you forward. Number two. Oh, I love this one. Pray for strategic miracles. Come on, let me say that again. Pray for strategic miracles. Now, some of us may not even pray for miracles. Some of us do. But I, I want you to pray for strategic miracles. Let's look at it. Joshua 10, 12, and 13. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord. I love this. In front of all the people of Israel. He didn't go hide away like, hey, God, could you... uh? Could you do this thing for me? No, I love that. Joshua was bold and said, Lord, he said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon, the moon over the valley of Ahanjalan. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. You talk about a strategic miracle. 
Joshua had already personally witnessed the Lord perform many miracles in his life, both in the wilderness when he was younger and it was, was still Moses' assistant, and then also since they've crossed over in the, in the land of Canaan. We've been looking at that for the last, you know, eight weeks. Some examples, when they crossed the Red Sea, the Red Sea split open. They walked through on dry ground, sea closed over the Egyptian army. He saw the, all the manna that would come down from heaven. For 40 years, this stuff came every single morning. He saw God bring, I mean, crazy amounts of quail in the camp. Water from a rock. He saw water coming out of a rock. The Jordan River opening up once they crossed Canaan. Now it was his turn. The priest stepped in the river and the river split. They walked through on dry ground. And then Jericho walls miraculously coming down and they gave a shout to the Lord. So he already knew this God that I serve is the God of miracles. So I know he can do miracles. <clears throat> so Lord, I need a strategic miracle. We've beaten these boys back and we need to keep on fighting. So could you cause the sun to stand still and the moon to stay in its place? You know, he had just performed another miracle in the verse before. <clears throat> Excuse me. As, look at verse 11. As the Amorites retreated down the road to Beth Haran, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven and continued until they reached Azekah. Azekah, the hell killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. You talking about when your God's fighting for you, right? You know, we sing that song, God is fighting for me, right? Listen, the timeliness of this occurrence of the storm was itself in a miracle. But check this out. An even greater miracle is the fact that the stones only hit the enemy soldiers and not any of the Israelites. Think about that. You see, that's something even I never realized till I was studying this. I've read that story probably 25, 30 times, and I never realized it's true. The Bible doesn't account that some of the Israelites got taken out by hailstones, right? They were strategic little missiles almost from heaven, <coughs> only hitting the enemy. So that was already a strategic miracle that the Lord did, that Joshua didn't even ask for. But the miracle of the hailstorm was nothing compared to the miracle of extending the day so that Joshua can finish the battle and secure a complete victory over the enemy. See, his men were weary, the task was great, and if the night came, the enemy would escape. Joshua needed a special act from God to enable him to claim the victory that God promised. This is interesting too. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the last miracle recorded in Joshua and certainly the greatest. Joshua prayed for God's help and the Lord answered in a miraculous way. Now, of course, even some may be tuning and listening today think, man, well, you know, we know that technically the sun didn't stand still, right? We know it's the earth that's moving around, the sun and the moon and you know, all of that. So the, literally the, the earth had to slow down. The earth had to stop. And like, man, some, some people question that and deny maybe the reality and look only at science. How could God stop the rotation of the earth and extend the length of a day without creating chaos all over the planet? Well, we know that the fact that there are days that are normally of different lengths in various parts of the world without the planet experiencing chaos, right? Different times and different dates. It can be daylight earlier here or later there, right? But really, how can you explain a miracle anyway? We can try to get into the science of it, but then it wouldn't be a miracle, right? Why even try to explain a miracle? Why does that prove? Again, that's why when you hear doctors, they're dumbfounded and they say, this is a miracle. We can't explain this. I go back to even last year's hurricane. I think it was Barry where the meteorologist was like, I don't know what's going on. There's some kind of invisible wall here and it's not letting the storm get on. They, they couldn't explain it. It's, it's a miracle. See, either we believe in a God who can do anything 
or we accept a Christianity that's not miraculous and we have to do away with the inspiration of the Bible, the virgin birth, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's either all or nothing, church. We either believe the miracles of the Bible and God is still in the miracle business or not. Look what C.S. Lewis said. The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. That's a good word from our brother C.S. Lewis right there. Right? If we want to, if you, if you settle for, for a non-miraculous Christianity, then we're just, we're, we're just being religious now. We're settling just for, just for a, a regular old religion that's just part of any other thing. And, but, but you know what? That's not the God we serve. We should not only pray for these kind of miracles, but pray for strategic miracles. And by the way, I remember hearing a man of God, it was actually Pastor Joe Stiles, Pastor Larry's son. I remember he was talking about miracles one time and about Jonah eating a whale and, and, and how, you know, uh, you know, whatever the Bible says, I believe it. He said, look, if, if the Bible said that Jonah ate the whale, I would believe it, right? If that's what it said. It is, pause though, a blessing that and the further we go along with science, you would think that it debunks the Bible. But the further we're going with science, it's actually proven what the Bible says, right? Things like that with the whale. When Pastor Joe said that, some of these whales out there, their tongues are the size of a bus. How could a, you know, a man could be eaten whole by, by you know, a whale that big and, and whatnot. So, <clears throat> so just this week, I read Fabian's uh, newsletter, Fabian Gretsch, Northern Iraq, Freedom to the Captives. He was supposed to be here a couple of months ago. And in his newsletter, some of you in here might get it, he was talking about that they just had, you know, uh, in the Muslim world, they just had Ramadan. And the spiritual peak of Ramadan is known as the night of power for Muslims. There's an Arabic name, I wasn't even trying to pronounce it, so, they, but it's known as the night of power. It marks the night, and I'm going to just read now what he wrote in his newsletter. It marks the night when Allah is believed to have sent the Quran down from the seventh heaven. It is on this night that Muslims believe prayers are more powerful, sins are forgiven, and the blessings and mercies of God are more abundant. It is on this night that Jesus often reveals himself in dreams and visions. So listen to what he said. Our community made up of mainly believers saved out of Islam took advantage of this opportunity and met in our prayer room and sought God all night for dreams and visions and God encounters with Muslims all over Iraq. They were praying for a strategic miracle. They were praying that on the, the height of, of, of their, like, their, the holiest of, of festival that Jesus would come and visit them, which is happening all the time. And they're seeing their prayers answered. Because in that same newsletter, <clears throat> you know, they have this social media account. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. They got this testimony. They recently got a testimony on social media. Listen to this. About a 15-year-old girl who had a dream of Jesus exactly as described in John in the book of Revelation. She now wants to know Jesus. This is a Muslim girl, y'all, that haven't read the Bible and don't know what the book of Revelation says. And she had a dream that lines up exactly with how John described that. That's a miracle. Amen. And that's happening. This is, they're saying this is happening all over the Muslim world. So on that night, they knew that was the height of Muslims praying and fasting and all of that. And God, and they were praying that the Lord would do this. Now, I don't think this girl's dream was on that night, but I'm just saying they're believing for strategic miracles and it's happening. Amen. So in order to live in victory, we should believe for strategic miracles as well. And the third and final thing, which is probably the most important and where I think a lot of Christians 
may miss it here, why they don't have victory. Number three is you must walk in the authority that Christ has given you. You must walk in the authority Christ has given you. Look at Joshua 10, 16, and 25. We're going on with the story now. During the battle, the five kings escaped and hid in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua heard that they had been found, he issued this command. Cover the opening of the cave with large rocks and place guards at the entrance to keep the kings inside. The rest of you continue chasing the enemy and cut them down from the rear. Don't give them a chance to get back to their town, for the Lord your God has given you victory over them. So Joshua and the Israelite army continued the slaughter and completely crushed the enemy. They totally wiped out the five armies except for a tiny remnant that managed to reach their fortified towns. Then the Israelites returned safely to Joshua in the camp of Makeda. After that, no one dared to speak even a word against Israel. Then Joshua said, Remove the rocks covering the opening of the cave and bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the caves, the kings of Jerusalem, and he names them. Then they brought them out. Joshua told the commanders of his army, come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Now listen to this. This might sound familiar. Listen to what Joshua was telling them. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told them. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. Amen? See, at the end of an incredible battery, battle, Joshua performed a public ceremony and gave encouragement and strength to his soldiers. Returning to the camp, Joshua ordered all these kings come, taken out the cave, and were placed face down in the dust, which would be very humiliating. You got to remember, these are kings, right? These are not just like generals and soldiers. These are five kings of nations. He got him out and had him lay face down in the dust. He called for his officers to put their feet on the necks of the kings. Listen to this. Symbolic not only of the past victory, but also the victories the Lord would give his people in the days of head. He was telling, yes, we conquered them today, but this is symbolic of what the Lord's going to do to all of your enemies in the future. You see, as I talked about types and shadows earlier, Joshua is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. The word Joshua and Jesus actually mean the same thing. We can apply this scene to these words to Christ and to his people. Jesus has defeated all his enemies and one day will return and destroy them all, right? So no matter how much they rage and rebel, the Lord's enemy are still a footstool under his feet. But more importantly, through Christ, we can claim victory and put our feet on the enemy's neck as well. See, that story in Joshua, again, is symbolic. It's a type and it's a shadow that the enemy is under our feet. And that we have authority over him. And we must walk in that authority. See, church, and it's not good enough to know you have authority. You must walk in that authority. You must live in that authority. And if you live and walk in the authority of Christ, then you will also live in victory. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. May the Lord... May the goodwill of our Lord Jesus be with you. So here's Paul now. Here's the picture in Joshua. Now we're in the New Testament, and Paul is saying that, that, that the Lord is going to quickly crush Satan under your feet. Now look at Jesus himself. This is the most important thing about authority. This verse right here, if you wonder, what do you mean about authority? How do we have? This is the verse you must write down, highlight, put on your mirror. If you're struggling with defeat and not walking in victory and feel like you're getting beat up, this is the scripture you must know right here. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, look, I have given you authority over some of the power of the enemy. I've given you authority over most of the power of the enemy. I've given you authority over much of the power of the enemy. What does the Bible say? 
I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And look what it says. You can walk among snakes and serpents and crush them. Nothing will injure you. He wasn't talking about physical snakes and scorpions, right? The, the, the context here is, is the enemy. So what he's saying is you can walk in the authority that I have given you. He has given us authority over all the powers of the enemy, and we must know that. When we were at our friend's church last week, we preached a freedom conference, and really the, the denomination that this church was coming out of never heard about or never talked about demonic activity and authority and any of that. And the pastor started out the conference with preaching on this, and me and Cassie continued. And that was the thing we honed in on the whole weekend. If you know nothing else, and we prayed for them to get free just as we have had freedom weekends, and back in the day it was encounters, you know, here... And we told them all that, but we ended the conference with saying, if you don't know and walk in the authority you have, you're going to keep getting defeated. You must know that Jesus has given you and me authority over all the powers of the enemy. You can only live in victory if you walk in the authority that Christ has given you. I want to close with a, with a, 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 a cute illustration that I read about authority. A former governor of Massachusetts was running hard for a second term in office. One day after a busy Morning, chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and he was famished. As the governor moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. The governor said, excuse me, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him, I'm supposed to give one piece to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to a customer. The governor was a modest and assuming man, but he decided that this time he'd throw his weight around a little bit. And he said, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. Do you know who I am, the woman said? I'm the lady serving the chicken. Move along, mister. <laughs> Amen? You might have authority over the state. I got authority over this chicken right here, right? <laughs> Amen? And that's what we need to know, church. Hey, as, as funny as that little story is, the truth of that story is no matter what the enemy tries to tell you. See, the governor tried to push his weight around and tell her, well, I'm the governor. No matter what the enemy tries to tell you, you have authority over him. Amen. And you must walk in that authority. And you do that through prayer. You do that through praying in the name of Jesus. I command you in the name of Jesus, Satan, get under, get under my feet. Get thee behind me, Satan, by quoting scripture, by praying against the enemy, by just knowing. See, this ties back into the first. It, faith rises up in you when you know you have authority. You're not scared anymore when you, that lady was not scared of the governor of Massachusetts, right? She had authority over that chicken. And it didn't matter what he said. You only getting one piece, brother. You move along now, you know, right? Because she had authority, right? It didn't, she wasn't worried about what the governor was going to do. She didn't flinch, right? Church, it's the same with us. We shouldn't flinch on Wednesday. I think I might have said this last week. I might have said it uh, at the Family Place Church. I heard a story um, of, I think it was, it was Splurgeon maybe or one of, one of the guys. Um, I forgot who it was. C.S. Lewis, one of these guys. Um, Woke up in the middle of the night, one of these old theologians, he woke up in the middle of the night and he felt an evil presence in his room. And he said when he woke up, he can sense an evil presence. And he said, oh, Satan, it's only you. He blew out the candle, rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> he wasn't even worried about it. He, was, he went right back to sleep after knowing there was an evil presence. Why? He wasn't scared. He knew the authority that he had in Christ. Amen. So in closing, the three keys to living in victory is number one, allow God's promises to propel you. Propel you. Number two, pray for strategic miracles. 
Come on, we need some strategic miracles in our community, in our nation right now. Amen? Walk in the authority that Christ has given you. Walk, live, pray, believe the authority Christ has given you. So as we close, in order to live in victory, you first have to be alive spiritually. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says this, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers in authority. Listen to this. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Because of Christ's victory on the cross, we can live in victory. But you first must be spiritually alive. Are you spiritually dead or alive today? You can't have victory if you're dead. A dead man don't have any victory, right? So the authority we're talking about walking in, the promises we're talking about, the miracles we can pray for has to come from a position as a son and daughter of the Lord. He says because your sins were forgiven. We first must have to be forgiven of our sins. we got to repent of our sins. We have to turn away. And Jesus, it says, nailed him to the cross. I love that. He canceled the record of the charges against us. We had many charges against us, but when Jesus said it is finished, it was canceled. Now we have to do our part and receive it. Repent of our sin, turn away, and, and, and believe that the Lord is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he'll do. Would you bow your head with me? Even those that are tuned in online, please just bow your head, close your eyes. If you say today, Brandon, you know what, man? I'm struggling. I don't feel like I'm alive. I don't feel like I'm alive inside. I don't know if I've ever been forgiven of my sin. I feel like those charges are still hanging on me. But I want to be today. I want to be born again. I want to live in victory and be spiritually alive. Again, none of us are promised tomorrow. And if today was your last day on this earth, where would you spend eternity? If you're not sure, today's your day. You say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm spiritually alive, but I want to be. I want to be born again. That's why the Bible says we got to be born again because our spirit is dead and we have to be born again and become alive in Christ. So if that's you today, say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm alive in Christ. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm born again. I feel like that I've never been right with God, but I want to be right with God. Or I was right with him at one time, and I want to get back right. If that's you, I want you to just slip up your hand, and I want to pray for you. I see your hand, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. I see your hand over here, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Even at home. If you're at home, I want you to even lift your hand. Just as I can't see it, but the Lord can. Anybody else? Say, Brandon, I need to get right, right here. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That word believe means to trust. Come on, would you trust him today by just praying a simple prayer? And as a family, we're going to all pray with you that raise your hands. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying for me. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I repent of my sin. I turn away from sin and I turn to you today I make you my Lord and Savior thank you Lord for canceling the record and charges against me and giving me victory in you now give me the grace and give me the strength to walk in authority and live in victory all the days of my life in Jesus name I pray amen and amen come on let's celebrate with these this morning yes thank you Lord Amen. If you filled out that, that, 
I mean, if you've made that decision, fill out a card in the pew in front of you that says, I made a decision, bring it to the info center. We got a Bible and whatever else you need that we can help you. We want to pray for you. Why don't the rest of you stand up and let's go ahead and, and let's pray together as we close. Come on, how many of y'all believe you need a promise from God that to propel you right now? Let's pray for God's promises to be spoken and revealed to us. Father, I pray right now. Come on, how many of you say, Brandon, come on, just close your eyes where you're at. You say, Brandon, I need victory in my life. Just slip up your hands if that's you. Say, man, I need some victory right now. Look, hands going up all over. Father, you see all the hands. I pray those with their hands up that are wanting and needing victory, wanting to walk in victory. Lord, I pray that you would speak a specific promise, Lord God, that it would propel him them into victory and into their purpose, Lord, that they can not only get a victory, a single victory, but Father, that they can live in victory, Lord. I also pray that they be beginning to believe you for strategic miracles. Come on, let's pray for some right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, a strategic miracle of healing and unity in our land. Lord God, just to, that COVID power would be broken or the fear of it would be broken in Jesus' name and that, Lord, I pray, Lord God, even as, as Fabian and pray, Lord God, that miraculous salvations would take place, miraculous revival. Lord God, dreams and visions, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray this morning that those that are not walking in, in their authority, not only would they know they have authority today, but they walk out of this place and begin to live in the authority that you've given us because you've given us all authority over all the powers of the enemy. I thank you for them, for your blessing and your grace to be upon them as they go today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Well, God bless y'all. We love y'all. Have a great day. If you want to help out with some hurricane relief, sign up on the website or let us know here after service. God bless.